talk. Stormer, go to hell! Bart! Young man, in this talk we use a little word called please. Okay, so the last time I went and bought it, they won that night. And I actually, the reason I bought it was because I had to do laundry because I still had a bunch of clothes in my tub from soaking up the bathroom <laughs> floor and they were starting to reek. And I was mm. exactly one quarter short of being able to wash and dry them. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, I'm going to go to the liquor store and break this 20. And all right, might as well buy the lucky dumb bitch juice. And uh, it has proven its magic once again. Nice. Congratulations. And what is the dumb bitch juice again? It is a Smirnoff Ice. Red, white, and berry limited edition with blue raspberry, cherry, and citrus. Wow, that does sure does sound like dumb bitch juice. 4.5 alcohol by volume. Oh, so that's very mild dumb bitch juice. It is, but it's a big-ass bottle. I guess if you have like a six-pack of it. It, it, it was a okay. giant bottle oh, for like... 40? It, it, yeah, a 40 for like three bucks. I think it's a 40. How much is one pint eight ounces? Damn. That's a 40, right? One pint eight... Uh, no, that's like 22 ounces. I think a pint is 16 ounces. I feel like for all the bullshit math things we learned, I feel like that one should have been drilled into our heads harder. Yeah, I uh, I know very little about like pints and quarts and shit. I know there's eight cups in a gallon. I think that doesn't sound right. Or no, wait, eight pints in a gallon. Eight pints in a gallon. So I believe it's four pints in a quart. No, I thought it was um, two. Man, we are so bad at this. Yeah, uh, you know, you might be right. Fuck, who cares? All right, yeah, and you were right about um, how many ounces in a pint. Nice. So I guess one pint is the same as one pound, since they're both 16 ounces. The volume of a pound of water is one pint, and so people say a pint's a pound the world around, but that's A, only true for water, and B, only true at sea level. So it's actually pretty close to being 100% wrong. Welcome to Shroom for Two, the liquid measuring podcast. I'm Mike. And I'm Taylor. You measuring any liquids over there, Mike? Uh, just, uh, the sweet, sweet, I guess, tears, whatever the opposite of tears is of victory, watching the Red Sox just beat the snot out of the Houston Astros in, uh, game three of the ALCS. If we had started recording about half an hour ago, I would be giddy and shouting and elated because Jackie Bradley Jr. just hit a grand slam off a domestic abuser. Oh, man. Like, off of his head, or, like, that he threw one? No, the, the, guy, the guy who threw him the ball was a domestic abuser. Okay, well... Score one for team not doing that. Yeah, yeah, JBJ fighting for the cause. Uh, so there's some uh, PVZ Heroes news to say, something that everybody has been waiting for for a long time. The uh, the HG packs are back in the store. For people who don't know, the way that the new Heroes in Galactic Gardens were rolled out was that you couldn't get them in regular packs. You had to get, like, faction packs that were aligned to that hero. So, like, Beta Caratina is in a Smarty slash Guardian pack. Wait, I thought they were just Galactic Gardens packs. Oh, shit, maybe you're right. These ones are Galactic Gardens packs now, but they're like pack-and-a-halves, which is why they cost 150 gems each, and you get nine cards instead of six. Okay, so people can finally get uh, HG again uh, if they've been jonesing to do that. You know, that's something that we see sometimes on the Reddit. People being like, how do I unlock huge Giganicus? Everybody says he's great, um, and he is great, and the answer is to wait for these packs to be on sale and then buy a bunch. Yeah, hopefully you've got a reserve of gems saved up. I I guess, unfortunately, fortunately, on my free-to-play account, I went and bought a multi-pack a couple of days ago, but I don't really regret it because I opened four legendaries in it, so, you know. Um, and there were good ones, too. You posted the screenshot in the um, in the Discord channel, 
and it was like what you got like you got an onion rings a molecule a, a supernova guard and a binary stars and also a doctor space time and a tactical cube which i needed yeah like good good super rares in addition and uh so you got like the world's sweetest multi-pack yeah but that means that uh, probably super unlikely that i get hg because earlier today i put a bunch of gems into the bonus meter so i could get uh, one last haunted pumpkin before they went away yeah that's got to be a good uh, card for a new player you know to make a super aggro deck yeah. i only ended up with two of them though because of uh, the aforementioned bathroom flooding from last week oh yeah i'm glad that your apartment is no longer underwater however that was a a real dumb lesson i taught myself well that sounds awful it is awful and you know what else was awful Getting my ass kicked by Infinity in the uh, Team Fight Club. Yeah, you got uh, your ass handed to you, right? You you got swept? I did. I got 3-0'd. And I think that I've won enough games and talked enough smack that I'm now getting metagamed against. Because the Infinity I fought was running Meteor Z instead of Graveyard. So all the grave mistakes and grave busters in my hands were dead weight. And I just couldn't draw any of my shrinking violets to deal with Dr. Spacetime and stuff like that. So were you running Grave Mistake and Grave Buster in the same Beta Caratini deck? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm running two and two, and I was expecting to deal with Space Cowboy in the graveyard lane. Like, that was what I stacked up against because of Infinity. Because the previous person who was playing Infinity was uh, Achiti, who people will remember from the oh, last yeah. tournament we were in. who Proselytized the virtue of Space Cowboy in the graveyard. Put on a clinic, if you will. And so I was geared up to face that. But they're not around right now, so I fought somebody else, and this person was more clever. And it turns out that I had ways to deal with Space Cowboy in a graveyard. I didn't have enough ways to deal with Space Cowboy itself. Mm. Well, then, uh, sounds like you learned a lesson. I did, but I bounced back from it, and I swept the smash, so I'm still doing pretty good. Nice. And these videos are all on our YouTube channel? Uh, not all of them yet. I need to upload the smash video. But one video that is up on our YouTube channel is the the crafting recommendations on the plant side from last week's episode. I went and I made a little YouTube video and some background graphics for that and put that up on the page. Uh, yeah, and uh, you already had the zombie one up there too, right? Uh, no, I haven't done that one yet, but it will hopefully oh, be... Oh, I thought, I thought you did that one right away. Maybe that'll be done by the time this comes out, but I don't know. Only the listeners will know. Fair enough. And I guess future Mike, when he's editing the podcast, will know as well. All right, card of the week time. It is Lawn of Doom Witch Week. Witch Week? Trick-or-treater week. The brainy 3-mana 2-3 gourmet party zombie that says when you play your first trick each turn, conjure a treat, and it is either the 1-mana plus 1 attack, 3 health, or the 2-mana plus 3 attack, 1 health. Yeah, uh, healthy treat and sugary treat, they're called. Um, And uh, so before we get to talking about this card... Um, you know, we should mention that this card was buffed, actually. Um, I forget when they did it, but it was a while ago at this point. When this card originally came out, the treats both cost two, and they gave plus two plus O oh, and plus O oh, plus two, respectively. So they were substantially worse in basically all ways. They wanted the card to see a bit more play, uh, and so they put a bunch more power points into it. And uh, Healthy Treat and Sugary Treat are both pretty much best in class as far as buffs go. One mana plus one plus three is like very, very likely to make you win a trade you otherwise would lose um, and is very good at protecting combo pieces like Trick or Treater itself. That I think is the better one of these trees in general, not only because it costs one, but because it helps keep stuff alive and out of berry blast range. Agreed. And then Sugary Treat is very good at closing the game out. Um, you know, if you've got a creature with Frenzy, or you've got a creature in the water lane or whatever, put being able to put plus three attack 
onto um, you know something that your opponent's going to have a hard time blocking is a uh, great way to close out the game. And let's of course not forget that these are both tricks, so that they will trigger your trick or treater again on subsequent turns. And they will also proc your Dino Roars. So if you're running like Stompadon or the Raptor or any of those, then every time you play a trick, you'll get a an extra go of that. And so that kind of feeds nicely into the kind of the two ways to build a um, trick-or-treater deck, or at least the ones that I would be able to think of off the top of my head. And one is a sort of like trick storm kind of thing where you're trying to play a bunch of tricks at the same time uh, or sequentially. Uh, And then the other thing would be going deep on Dino Roar. So if you're able to um, get a bunch of Dino Roar triggers and have something like a Stompadon that's like buffing the creatures in your hand and stuff every time you're conjuring a treat, then that's a great way to just sort of have control of the board and never give it up. But uh, because I do not own any Stompadons, um, I uh, disenchanted them all back when they nerfed it. I decided to revisit a deck that I had previously talked about, which was the Virology Teacher. This was the um, deck that I built to show off Thinking Cap. Uh, and so this is a Rust Bolt deck you can see in the show notes. And the one that I was showing before was playing Zombology Teacher, Trick or Treater, Thinking Cap, and Trickster. Um, and so it's kind of mashing all those things together to be able to make a hybrid deck that wants to play lots of spells, but also wants to have creatures in play to sort of buff with the going viral uh, overrun type effect. Yeah. Zombology Teacher is kind of the perfect companion for Trick or Treater because they're both very high attention lightning bolts and they help keep each other alive because if you're able to if you have your teacher out and you can drop your trick-or-treater and follow it up with a zero mana trick and maybe even conjure another zero mana trick you can really uh, take over the board for sure and uh similarly they're both that great with thinking cap in that way that was the point of the previous version of the deck and so i wanted to sort of go down a similar road because like you know trick-or-treater is very good with trickster um you know i've played trick-or-treater trickster decks many times on this show but i wanted to kind of rejigger it to the point where thinking cap was less of the star than trick-or-treater i think trick-or-treater was a two of in the version of the deck that i described before here it's up all the way to the maximum four of the creature package is a little bit different too uh so in the previous version of the deck i was playing some more uh annoying small drops so i was playing chimney sweep the thing that gets plus one plus one when you play it on the heights which is a great like early game way to bother them. And I've replaced that with Zombie Middle Manager, which is the one-mana one-two that conjures a professional. Zombology Teacher, notably, is also a professional. Um, and this is a way to say, hey, you're going to have buffs, and you want to play tricks in order to um, get those buffs, because that's how Trick or Treater works. Let's make sure that you don't run out of creatures to put your buffs on. So this deck plays by playing a sticky minion, uh, either one that comes in and conjures a creature for you, uh, or is something like Planetary Gladiator that has armor and uh, is able to survive longer. And then it plays one of its enablers, Trick or Treater or Zombology Teacher. Trick or Treater is the one that really makes the deck go. And then using its removal spells like Rolling Stone and uh, its protection spells like Escape Through Time, in addition to your superpowers, conjures buffs with Trick or Treater for you to make your dudes big and control the board. You know, I don't say this that often, but I think Cone Zone would go really good in this deck. I think I agree, but tell me more. Okay, so one of the biggest drawbacks of Trick or Treater is that it has three health, so it is a big flashing target for Berry Blast and Meteor and Primal Potato Mine and so on. And Zombology Teacher also has that similar problem of its biggest drawback being that it has only one health to start out with. And both of those creatures, and also the Gladiator, would love to have 
that extra couple of health lying on there. And you, I'm noticing you, you're not running any environments in this at all. So if you run into like a spike weed deck, you might get uh, get chewed up pretty quickly with all your low health creatures. I'm um, going commando, as the saying goes. I did that just because this all of the cards in this deck kind of like want other things to surround it in order to make it good. So like with Trickster, you want tricks to make it cheap. And with Thinking Cap, you want enablers to make it cheap because otherwise it's really clunky. And with going viral, you want to have creatures and so on. And so I just kind of thought that I couldn't really fit any environments in. Um, but I think that your point is very good. There are a lot of things in here that Cone Zone wants to protect. Even things like Zombie Middle Manager. Like, Zombie Middle Manager does get, get big when other professionals get hurt. Um, and so if it survives long enough, um, you're able to um, actually have that be meaningful. I probably would get owned pretty bad by uh, Spikeweed Sector. The sort of the normal choice... Um, for Rust Bolt decks that want to run an environment just to run it is to play Black Hole because it costs one. But like this isn't really a very good Black Hole deck. You're not really going to be like setting up something, you know, maybe something has deadly and you're able to set up good trades or like maybe you have just some unstoppable armored killing machine um, that you want to like funnel your opponent's creatures into. This doesn't really do very much like that. You'd pretty much be playing Black Hole just as like kind of a one mana pave over their environment. Yeah, maybe with a little bit of protection for your Zombology teacher so they can't, like, throw something in front of it next turn. Um, this is a deck that kind of, like, creature combat is very important. You know, like, it's it really matters what the size of your creatures is and what um, you sort of, like, positioning your creatures and stuff. So, like, it's a very fun tactical gameplay. Um, and then if you get your combo set up, you can kind of explode, uh, which is something that I like to do. But I'll give that Cone Zone thing a shot. Um, that certainly would... Uh, lower the cost of the deck because uh, there's a lot of super rares and event cards and stuff in here. Yeah, I would probably pull like a going viral and maybe a thinking cap and try out two gun zones. Yeah, those are definitely uh, two of the most situational slash clunkiest cards in here for sure. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of running four going virals in anything because of just the threat of ending up with three of them in your hand and no field. Uh, yeah, I mean, that is annoying. But, you know, with Zombology Teacher, they do cost two, which is good. Part of what made Trick or Treater so good in my Immortitia deck, uh, that if you uh, listen to past shows, you will have seen, um, is that basically every creature in those decks had Frenzy. So the, the buffs on the Trick or Treater were able to, like, go that much further. And so just, like, giving a random creature plus one plus one in Frenzy with going viral, certainly if you have to do it, and, like, not do anything else that turn. It's an awful tempo play. But, like, having random creatures with Frenzy um, is, I think, pretty worthwhile. I have a trick-or-treater deck as well, but I'll be talking about that on the next segment. And that next segment is now. So it's time for uh, another crowd decking, this one about Valkyrie Brainstorm, the deck that everybody loves to hate. Yeah, this is probably the most hated zombie deck in the world, I would say. Is that fair? It's certainly the zombie deck that I see people complaining about. It's kind of like people complaining about berries or briar rose on the plants. Um, the Valkyrie Mustache Monument OTK is um, the thing that's making everybody sad on the zombie side. Yeah, very powerful for sure. And uh, for those of you who uh, maybe don't play this card game, the Valkyrie is a, a three mana, zero attack, six health creature where when it's in your hand, every time one of your other creatures dies, it gains two attack. 
so you can buff it up to like 12, 14 attack really quickly and attack for a whole bunch of damage and kill them immediately. Yeah, there's like Hearthstone cards and stuff that like when something dies, I get bigger. The spiel is with this is you wait till it gets really big uh, by playing token creatures or various other things that we'll talk about. Um, And then you play it usually with a teleport. uh, So it comes in at the end of the turn right before the attack. And then you make it do a bonus attack somehow. Uh, So if you teleport it into an empty lane, it gets to just attack. But if you teleport it into a lane that has something in there, uh, then you need to do a bonus attack. And uh, there's two primary ways people do bonus attacks uh, that we'll get to as the scenario goes on. We're going to start with the stuff, as we always do, that seems to be common to uh, pretty much all these decks. I think that there's kind of a um, pile of just like brainy, crazy good stuff um, that would probably go in every Professor Brainstorm deck, like not just these Valkyrie Brainstorm decks. And so I think that numbers two through four here, Teleport, Quick Draw Con Man, and Bungie Plumber, uh, are definitely on that list. Absolutely. And I could make an argument for Valkyrie being so good that it should be at least a two of in every Brainstorm deck, because it is such a big power swing and such huge stats. Even if you're playing it on turn three as like a four six, that is not the worst thing in the world, even if it's not your finisher. It's just a really nice mid-game body to have out there. But yeah, Bungie Plumber is amazing. Just two damage, kill whatever for one. Quick Draw Con Man shortens the game. So ideally, you're able to get four damage off of a Con Man before it dies in a perfect world, which is... Pretty easy to do. Yeah, and, you know, worst case scenario, it dies and your Valkyrie gets buffed up. Yeah, exactly. And then Teleport, I mean, of course, everybody's everybody's favorite busted one-mana cantrip that says you can flash a creature in this turn. I think in a perfect world this card wouldn't exist, uh, but it does, and it's legendary, so everybody has it. Uh, So Valkyrie and Teleport are the ones with the most penetration um, of these 13 decks uh, with maximum 52 possible cards. Uh, Valkyrie has 48, and Teleport has 46, and uh, that probably has to do with the fact that these are both legendary because um, there is basically no reason to run less than four of each of these, especially if you're trying to pull off an OTK. Yeah, this is definitely a rich kid deck. Like, you're not really going to be able to pull together a budget Valkyrie deck, you know, kind of definitionally, but Teleport and Valkyrie are both really big power points to have, and there are a handful of other second-tier legendaries smattered throughout there, most notably the Barrel of Deadbeards, which also helps provide a little bit of uh, AoE damage and has two creatures in it that will die to power up your Valkyrie. Yeah, the barrel dies and leaves a token behind that will then die and trigger your Valkyrie a second time. So that's good stuff. Um, and so Barrel of Deadbeards is kind of in a, a second class that's like cards that you put in pretty much every Valkyrie Brainstorm deck. So like all the rest of that stuff that we mentioned was stuff that you play if you're just playing Brainstorm. But if you're playing Valkyrie Brainstorm, there's some other stuff that you want to include as well. The That list, I would say, goes to Mustache Monument, which is a way to do bonus attacks, Barrel of Dead Beards, which is just, you know, Mondo Value, and then Exploding Fruitcake, which is um, the uh, cash shop card that's uh, two cost, deal seven to a plant. The plant player conjures a fruit, yep. I want to say doesn't matter what they conjure, because it means that you kill their wingnut, which stops you from doing bonus attacks. That's like the the removal spell that says, kill wingnut. Like, it might as well just say exactly that. Yeah, so you've got, like, your enablers of the OTK concept. There's, like, Barrel of Deadbeards buffs your Valkyrie up and helps you control the board. Mustache Monument does the bonus attack, and Exploding Fruitcake clears the way. Yeah, all of them wonderful cards. Uh, Exploding Fruitcake, definitely worth crafting. It is one of the best cash shop-only cards out there, and the fact that it is 
two mana get rid of pretty much whatever is in front of your Valkyrie is is a great way to finish off a game. Yeah, I'm still kind of astonished that this card was upgraded uh, before it was released. Like, you know, when um, when this card was first like added to the data file and we saw it in the client, uh, but before anyone could get it, it originally dealt six damage, but by the time it came out, it dealt seven damage. You know, like we said at the time, pretty much the only thing that we can think of for that sort of a change to be warranted is for this to be a precision-guided wingnut killer. Well, wingnut and picanolith and mirror nut, like all of those have seven health, and uh, I think even I think even uh, mirror nut got buffed up to seven recently so yeah still... yeah mirror nut got turned into a seven like way after this card got printed which is kind of appropriate because picanolith and mirror nut are also kind of ways to check a valkyrie deck because if you fill mm. all your lanes up with nuts early on when their their field is just cheap dudes that haven't died yet and they're just hitting them for one or two and the mirror nut is making them pay for that that's pretty good and if they get a picanolith out then your valkyrie is only going to have six attack maximum that's very true um and so you know what to do except make a combo deck better by have its uh sort of um custom built removal spell also hit the card that's just randomly good against it it'll also set off your creek draw con man for good measure yeah um okay and then there's a few other things that are kind of like distributed through here that are like not really specific to any given strategy but also very good so like beam me up the two cost thing that's instant speed make a two three that's very good uh, Regifting Zombie, which is the Cold Light Oracle, the uh, now three cost three two that says when it comes in, each player draws two cards. Back when this cost two, this was kind of in the always play it pile, uh, but now that it costs three, it's kind of I think appropriately relegated to like being specifically a combo enabler, uh, which I think is a more healthy place for it to be. Yeah, that change didn't really deter that many people from taking it out. In fact, we there are a lot of people who kept their Valkyrie Brainstorm decks the exact same even after Mustache Monument and Regifter became more expensive because it was still really good. The card still has a whole lot of power points in it, but, you know, the cost of playing a Regifter, I mean, the cost literally went up by one, but, like, the opportunity cost also increased because, like, that one extra mana you're spending on that is one extra mana you're not spending on something else that's important to do. And then finally, I would round this out with you have some more enablers, like some sort of deeper enablers for the um, the bonus attack or for things like Barrel of Dead Beards. So final mission is that sacrifice a creature, deal four damage to something, which used to cost one, now cost two. Some people are playing that as a way to enable Barrel of Dead Beards, as a way to just make sure your stuff dies. Then we got Lurch for Lunch, which is the basic two mana do a bonus attack nothing wrong with that there's a uh, quite a large contingent of that people just like flash in the valkyrie and then do a bonus attack the honest way rather than using a mustache monument plenty of that uh, and then we got stuff like firework zombie which is the um three mana three four deal one to the board also enables your barrel of dead beards because it cracks open the barrel and if you're playing a bunch of random x1s they die or and you get a X2s. bunch of valkyrie triggers or X2, yeah, if, you, if you've got the barrel going at the same time, then your X2s die, and the plant player's X2s die also. But if you're just doing, like, you know, there's a lot of X1, like, random token creatures that will appear in some of these archetypes that we're going to talk about in a second. Um, and so Firework Zombie is a great way to just kind of, like, mop those up and, and turn them into Valkyrie power. It's also the only form of board clear, like, crowd control we're seeing here, because nobody's running Chickening or Gizzard Lizard. Like, this is really the only way to clear a field full of beans or mushroom tokens or what have you yeah i mean you know i think that uh chickening is probably like way way too clunky so if if firework zombie didn't exist then um gizzard lizard would probably be the only option there 
and I probably would see some amount of play. Um, Fireworks Zombie is definitely very good as a metagame call. You know, doesn't really do a ton against berries. There's not a lot of berries with only one health. But as you say, beans and mushrooms um, definitely don't like to see a Fireworks Zombie. And then a little bit lower, we have the Quasar Wizard, another legendary oh, showing yeah. up in a handful of these, which I really like as a early game body, a good follow-up to a Quick Draw Con Man, because it's really hard to kill one of those on the first turn. And being able to give yourself a bunch of random superpowers is a great way to make this deck even more unfair if you're able to access, like, the Smash's super-duper power or, like, a, a well-timed evaporate or a little bit of healing or any number of things that can bail you out that you're not supposed to have. And also, if you're running Trickster, it makes them cheaper. Yeah, I mean, Quasard is just sort of one of those things that cements this as a rich kid deck. There's a lot of just value legends. Uh, Quasard is pretty much the definition of a value legend. Two cost, two, two. If you play it next to a zombie, you conjure a superpower. Um, that's just, like pure value just leaves a 2-2 body behind that dies basically right away and turns into valkyrie power yeah quasar is kind of hard to go wrong with that speaking of trickster valkyrie one of the interesting things about the valkyrie brainstorm genre is that there's a lot of well-defined subgenres beneath that like there are a lot of different ways you could take this deck once you decide okay i'm i'm putting valkyrie and professor brainstorm and and a couple of great things, and you can fill the rest up with dancing cards. You can fill the rest up with trickster and a bunch of tricks. You can uh, even one person made a science Valkyrie deck, which I think is really cool. So shout out to Igma. Or you could go like full swarm the field with cheap tokens and like playing unlife of the party and zombies best friend to really make sure you've got a bunch of the stuff on the field at the same time. Yeah, let's start with that one um, because you know the thing that Valkyrie says to you the loudest is fill your deck with token creatures and I'll get better. And so a few of these decks, uh, listener Gabo and myself, are both playing Zombie's Best Friend, which is the super rare, two-cost, two-one crazy card that says, when played next to a zombie, create a one-drop in a random location. And so that's just two dudes and one. I think this card is a little bit of a trap, mm. because lane cloggage is a thing, and as Professor Brainstorm, you're probably only going to have four things on the field at most, like you don't get any amphibious creatures naturally. That's true. And Zombie's Best Friend will fill two of those lanes and kind of definitionally three of them if because you need to play it next to a thing. Like, the card you get off of it might just be a 1-1, one, one, and the 2-1 itself is not that big of a threat unless you're also running a Disco Knot to make it hit for Bullseye. So I think that if I see a Zombie's Best Friend come out, and there's not, like, something super critical, like a cheese cutter that I got to deal with right away, then I'm just going to ignore it and focus on the other lanes. To me, um, I chose to play Zombie's Best Friend because it's kind of a strict upgrade to Disco no or to disco Zombie if you're not doing the dancing thing. Like, the, the, the upside of the Disco Zombie is that it's a dancing card, so, like, it powers up a Flamenco Zombie later or something, but you get a 3-1 and a 1-1. In this case, you get a 2-1 and a random 1-drop, which might be like a 2-1 or a 1-2 or a 1-1 one, one or something like that. Um, or it could be great. It could be like a con man. Um, and so I think that it's just worth it if you're just trying to make a token. Um, and I think that if you were just trying to make a token, Disco Zombie would be also a not unreasonable choice to make. Hmm. I never thought of it like that. I never, tr I never thought to compare Zombie's Best Friend with Disco Zombie, but you're right. There's a lot of 
common ground there. I would not run Disco Zombie unless I was running a dancing package. Like, Disco Zombie on turn 3 is a really good lead-in to a evolved Headhunter on turn 4, but that is not what this week is about. <laughs> uh, sure, I agree with that. I would also probably not run Disco Zombie if I was just trying to make tokens. I mean, like, if I was a new player running basic cards, I might, but if I was a new player running basic cards, I wouldn't be playing Valkyrie Brainstorm. Sure. But yeah, I mean, I think that, um, like, I'm kind of surprised to see Zombie's Best Friend um, so far down on the list. There's only two of us playing it, and I'm the only one that's playing it as a four of. Um, so maybe the consensus is against me, um, but I just happen to think that Zombie's Best Friend is, like, kind of exactly what you want to be doing when you're doing the Valkyrie thing. I'd rather have Beam Me Up. Sure, but I'm also playing that. Oh, okay then. All right, what else we got here? Oh, wait, I'm not. <laughs> well, I should, well, I would be. I would be, but well, I, well, I, I meant to. to cut it. No, I don't think I meant to, but like beam me up is also reasonable, but like beam me up is one creature and this is two creatures. Yeah, but beam me up is like a, a reactive play instead of a proactive one. And you don't tap out on turn two. That's right you don't tap out on turn two, but the whole point of the of the token creation is that you you kind of like harry them and you waste their time all the while you're growing your Valkyrie and stuff. Like, you know, to bring this back around to the archetypes um, a lot of these archetypes, besides the just sort of full-on swarm the field kind, are trying to bake an alternate win condition into the deck. So if you're doing a trickster thing, you can also slam a trickster, maybe on a mustache monument, and do a bunch of bonus attacks and kill him. If you're playing a um, dancing thing, you can also play a flamenco zombie and kill him. With the pure token strategy, um, you don't really have a backup plan. Like, if you're going to win just by making tokens, the plant player is probably asleep at the wheel. What this would be about would be to just have your Valkyrie be the best Valkyrie that it can be. Um, and in my mind, that's like, make creatures to make it big, clog the lanes and waste their time, forcing them to spend time and cards and sun killing your stuff. Um, and then, like, sort of just slowly progress through the game until you can slam the the win condition. I think that is why I like the trickster version as my personal favorite and the one that I'm running because like with Onion Rings Chompzilla, this deck depends a lot on how your mulligan turns out and you're trying I would agree with that. Yeah, you're trying to get a Valkyrie in your opening hand no matter what and throw anything else back until you get one. And with trickster, you're kind of doubling the number of cards you want to have in your opening hand in that you can feel okay if you don't have a Valkyrie in your opening hand if you have a Trickster there, because that is still you're still building that finisher value from turn one. I definitely agree with that, and I mean, you know, I am the last person to say that Trickster is not an amazing card. Um, I don't know, it's called Valkyrie Brainstorm, not Trickster Brainstorm, you know what I mean? Um, and so I just think you can probably, you don't, you don't really have to diverge away from Valkyrie. I mean, and everybody diverges away from Valkyrie a little bit because, you know, sort of further down in the list here we can see like other big fat things to do bonus attacks with so like you can have like a shield crusher viking or a kitchen sink zombie uh, or you know something like that that you can also play onto a mustache monument and like really totally get them like both of those will deal a bunch of bullseye damage to their face um and in the case of shield crusher viking probably kill the thing that's in front of it and if it connects with their face it completely drains their block meter um so like that's kind of tantamount to winning. Doing a bunch of attacks with Kitchen Sink Zombie is also kind of tantamount to winning. And so, you know, like, everybody has a pseudo-backup plan. 
Um, but the trickster stuff kind of tries to build in like a specific plan B. Yeah, and well, trickster itself also has a bunch of really useful tools to it na- to its name in that you know rocket science becomes that much more valuable and thinking cap becomes more viable of a put in and you know beam me up is double plus good because it will help grow your trickster and your valkyrie and i think that that version that the trickster valkyrie hybrid is so popular because fry em up has made i believe three videos about trickster valkyrie hybrid and they all go like nine and one or ten and oh because it's really good and so i think that is uh an inspiration for a lot of people trying to build their own wind deck. Oh yeah, for sure. And I mean, especially in the, the zombies best friend case, like being me up becomes an absolute slam dunk. That's what your two jobs should be. If you're trying to do the trickster thing. So let's talk about some of these other archetypes. So like the trickster one kind of like everybody knows what a trickster deck looks like. It's got tricks and trickster. Uh, but so tell me about one of the other ones. All right, let's talk about the dancing one. So it's running a bunch of tokens and, uh, Brainstorm, of course, has the superpower that'll summon two backup dancers. But, you know, we got some people running Aerobics Instructor and Disco Knot to give all your cheap dudes bullseye, so that's really cool. Disco Knot and, and Aerobics Instructor kind of a nombo because she'll buff your team outside of the Disco Knot range, but, I mean, you know. Yeah, but it's also kind of a pick your poison, making them choose between uh, which way they want to die. And, you know, once again, they all kind of go towards the greater good of feeding Queen Valkyrie. Agreed. There's one person here running binary stars. I don't know. Maybe I could have seen being a little bit higher on the other awesome legendaries to tech in because it makes your bungee plumbers do four damage and your final missions do eight. I think if I was uh, going to be doing a binary stars thing, I would probably want to be more all in of a of a dancing thing. Like you know, my favorite thing to do with binary stars is cosmic dancer because like the overshoot is is kind of uninteractable damage in that way. And so being able to double your uninteractable damage is pretty sweet. Um, and then, of course, Headhunter. And, you know, Headhunter is kind of also a, a way to really kind of smack their face around with binary stars. Stuff like binary stars and stuff like Headhunter kind of, like, also requires lots of support. And so to, like, to pack all that in with, like, the, the generic good non-dancing stuff, like Quick Draw Con Man and... Is Valkyrie a dancing zombie? It is. Or it was, is it just a history zombie? It was not always one, but it got made one at some point, maybe during the last round of rebalances. Yeah, the big creature type update. So you can get one off of Cosmic Dancer sometimes. Dancing definitely seems like a strong tribal subtype. Like, you know, all the best dancing stuff is in Crazy, and, uh, you know... You also get Moonwalker. You do get Moonwalker. Moodwalker. Uh, so tell me about this science deck. Okay, well, um... Okay, so this was created in the Telegram chat room by the Twitch streamer Igma. We were talking about all the different directions you could go with Valkyrie, and we were talking about Dance and Valkyrie and Trickster Valkyrie and all that, and I was wondering, huh, I wonder if Science Valkyrie is possible. And uh, he took that on him as a personal challenge to try and cook one up, and he made it. Yeah, so there's a very robust science package here of Interdimensional and Drone Bot and Transformation Station, and I think Moonwalker is a science zombie. Yeah. Yeah, and like a wormhole gatekeeper for a little more draw. I like that a lot more than Kite Flyer because it doesn't proc your block meter. Right, yeah, yeah. And then Gadget Scientist to make everything bonus attack. And then also Sugary Treat as a way to make those bonus attacks hit a little bit harder, which I like that as a as a wild card Tekken. Not running any bungee plumbers or anything, just using uh, four Exploding Fruitcake and four Beam Me Up as your removal. Four Exploding Fruitcake is a lot. I yeah. mean, like, A... You either spend eight thousand sparks or or whatever twenty bucks on your on your full playset of exploding fruitcakes. Um, but also, if you're using exploding fruitcake 
just to deal with wingnut, you know, then you're probably like treating it like a grave buster. Like you're probably running as a two of maybe a three of, um, you know, if you able to get them. Um, but if you're running the four X full exploding fruitcake, that means it's sort of pulling the duty as a general purpose removal spell, which uh, most people are not doing. Yeah, there's some stuff in here worth protecting, like Dronebot and Moonwalker. Like, letting those get in an extra hit can help you wrap up the game a lot earlier, so I think it makes sense, and I might have gone with Rocket Science somewhere instead, just to get a little more interdimensional zombie value, because that's a science card, but that's very marginal. Oh, sure. I like the Transformation Station. I think that's a a good uh, a, a good and fun environment to run as a zombie, because you get some, like, crazy RNG stuff, and maybe you'll be able to ramp your way up to something really big and cool. Yeah, and it's supposed to go with things like Gadget Scientist, oh, where oh, all the... Oh, shit, that's not Transformation Station. That's the Overshoot one. Oh, okay. Oh, no, I'm a fraud. I'm bad at data. Whoopsies. Okay, so let me go look at... They actually do look really similar, they like, do. in the icon view. And the fact that almost all the environments are purple does not help. Yes. There's one person running Transformation Station and one running Moonbase Z. So I should go and remember to update the spreadsheet with that before this goes live. Okay, so I guess the overshoot is there to help your drone bot build up your stuff even faster. Yes. It is really kind of astonishing how exactly the same these look. Moonbase Z is like a thin satellite dish looking thing, and Transformation Station is like a thick satellite dish looking thing. And like... In the icon view, they're pretty much the same. Also, the fact that it is right between the two and the three drops on the curve also threw me off. There's a, uh, a nice cohesive science sort of thing that you can put together here. Most of the science stuff taking place in the brainy class. So, like, you know, the dancing stuff is going to be, like, mostly crazy. And the science stuff is going to be mostly brainy, uh, as is the, uh, the trickster stuff. So it's good to see some kind of, like, class differentiation. I think there's also one person here running a mustache focused one running a mustache waxer and duck stash seems good certainly uh like mustache waxer gives you mana to play weenies and duck stash conjures you weenies yeah and uh mustache waxer is always a terrifying threat in a brainstorm because of bungee plumber and the uh eureka superpower which is a mustache trick yeah the idea of playing your one mana draw three drawing three and then getting the mana back um is just pretty unfair sounding I think this might also be a little on the free-to-play side because they're running uh, two Valkyries and three Teleports as their only legendaries. Oh, sure. I mean, you know, nothing wrong with being a free-to-play player. Yeah, yeah, good on you for, for trying this out, and it's still probably real good because that's just how amazing this archetype can be. Yeah, I bet so. That's pretty much all I see in here. I like that there's, like, some kind of solid differentiation between, like, you know, sort of being parceled out into one of a few major archetypes rather than just kind of being a soup like uh, Chompzilla was. Yeah, and this this deck curves out very low. There's not a lot of stuff that costs more than three in most of these decks. Some of them even cap out at Valkyrie. Yeah, I mean, you know, a few singletons aside, like uh, like Kitchen Sink Zombie kind of thing. Yeah, I like having a backup big threat throw out there. I think Kitchen Sink and Shield Crusher are both wonderful additions if you're doing the Mustache Monument bonus attack life, which you probably are. But Trickster is my favorite. I, in fact, most of the games I play with that end up winning with Trickster instead of with Valkyrie. I, I can't explain it, but I do enjoy it. So you're doing Trickster and then neither Kitchen Sink nor Shield Crusher? Yep. Yeah, the only things I have more expensive than Valkyrie are Thinking Cap and 
and trickster. But, you know, I'm just, you can also, like, superpower luck your way to victory and keep your con man alive until they're down to 10. This deck is not hard up for alternate plans, you know, which I guess is one of the reasons why the trickster thing is good, because a lot of those um, trickster enablers do pack quite a bit of power into them, too. 16 legendaries in mine. Yeah, this is a very rich kid deck. I've been trying yeah. to keep track of how many legendaries I'm running in a given deck just for my own edification and seeing if I can still do good on the ladder with decks that are running like five or six legendaries instead of trying to run like a dozen. Yeah, you know, I, I think that the the distinction we made at the beginning, um, the sort of like must-have versus nice-to-have is a very helpful one when trying to decide like how accessible is this deck to new players. And uh, we should also mention sort of given the places where we were soliciting these decks um like you know we were doing it in our discord we were doing it in the telegram fight club uh we did it on the show and we posted it on the reddit and stuff these are all places where like more heavily enfranchised players would be and so like people who would have you know put the time into grind or or put the money into buy a lot of this stuff um and so you know it's possible that um there's kind of some selection bias about like the people who would write a valkyrie trickster list to send it into Shroom for Two, like, might also just sort of naturally be the people who would put the work slash money into building a really blinged out one, but, you know. I mean, that's probably also true about the people who listen to our podcast in general. Sure, I would say that's true. I mean, we definitely do get some um, some new player type questions in here. You know, I wonder if the, if the new players out there find these crowd decking segments uh, interesting or, or help them kind of, like, change what they're going for to, to learn more about what's going on in the meta. Or maybe they want us to talk more about how to beat these decks. Okay, yeah, so that's a good point. Let's close the segment with talking about how to beat Valkyrie Brainstorm. So, like, stopping them from doing bonus attacks is kind of the really big one, which is why these decks often load up on ways to kill Wingnut. Um, but, you know, I think that if you told me to, in two words, tell you how to beat a Valkyrie Brainstorm deck, I would say Wingnut. I would say Water Lane. Okay. Mostly in, like, a Galactic Cactus Grizzly Pear Cub type of setup where you're trying to hit them for a whole bunch a couple of times and win just from that and ignore most of the stuff they play. Okay, there's plenty of things that kill a Grizzly Pear Cub, so maybe you're not going to be able to attack four times with it, but being able to get one or two lanes that are yours, that you can stave off with, like, spike weed or moving stuff around or your own removal tricks or whatever, and keep most of their field unkilled and just be able to stick your couple of lanes with high attack creatures in there, that can be enough to get you to win. You can also hope your opponent doesn't draw Valkyrie. That's a very good strategy. Yes, I mean, they do really do... If you want to do the Valkyrie part, if you draw Valkyrie on turn five, that's, you know, four turns worth of dudes dying that your Valkyrie didn't get to see. I think that uh, going over the top of them is uh, definitely something that's possible. So, you know, if you're able to ramp or otherwise hold the fort down until you can do something like an Astro Vera or a Soul Patch. Sort of that's a way to uh, get it like kind of an ablative shield up. You know, like if you can um, pair Paradise Astro Vera and gain 20, or if you can, um, you don't even need to do a force field with Soul Patch most of the time. Um, like, you know, if they're stumbling a bit um, and you're able to set something up that kind of locks them in the later game, um, then they might not be able to get their combo off. Yeah, and also the way you cultivate your lanes is important if you can just try to be conscious about making sure that there isn't a good lane for them to mustache monument valkyrie and kill you at the start of their turn like try to make sure that either 
one of your things or one of their things is in every ground lane to keep them from killing you at the start of their turn? Generally speaking, to think about a way to beat a deck, you think about ways to punish them when things go wrong with their linear strategy. So their linear strategy is have Valkyrie play dudes and have those dudes get killed. So if they don't have Valkyrie, which you don't really have any control over, then your plan is to kill them quickly before they can draw Valkyrie. Um, if they do have Valkyrie, which again, you're not really able to know until it's too late, then your answer is, well, don't kill their dudes. Um, if, you, if you're able to get into a position where you don't have to kill their dudes in order to do damage to them, like say you're playing Cycle Cap and you're doing a bunch of damage to their face just by getting end of the battlefield triggers, that's a way to not kill their dudes. Yeah, and you could also bounce them back to their hand with stuff like uh, Spring Bean or Jelly Bean or Jumping Bean. For sure. Like, there's ways to kind of like tempo them in ways that don't spend a bunch of resources of your own. Like, you know, as I was saying when we were talking about this sort of go wide zoo type version of the deck, your job as the brainstorm player is to keep them killing your small creatures. Um, and so if you can disrupt that by like being in the driver's seat as the plant player, then the game unfolds at your pace and not theirs. And your pace is going to be the one that lets you win. Are you a bad enough dude to not kill the con man? Uh, I think you have to kill the con man. If you don't kill the con man, you take like five bullseye damage to the face, which is like tantamount to one less block, uh, which I think means you probably die. Yeah, it, it is really hard to pass that up, even though it does power up the Valkyrie immediately. But honestly, the plus two attack from the Valkyrie is probably less damage overall than you would take by keeping the con man alive. For sure. I mean, you know, and the, the fact of the matter is, like, the reason that everyone hates this deck so much is that this deck is very consistent and wins a lot. Like, if they have a turn one quick draw con man and, like, you know, a turn three regifting zombie or, like, they're fucking around doing brainstorm stuff in ways that cause you to die. This is full of a lot of uninteractive cards, and it's in some ways difficult to stop that. You can have whatever your game plan is to punish their ways that the deck might not come together, but if the deck does, in fact, come together, then your job is to, like, not cry about it and just, you know... You could also play a grape responsibility on Wingnut and make it a 314. Suppose you could do that. Maybe you'll get some really cool, powerful fruit off of Exploding Fruitcake that'll help you win, like... Winter Melon or Dark Matter Dragon Fruit or Astrocado. Be your own combo deck is a way that we, I'm surprised we didn't really talk about like Repeat Moss or something like that. Like a deck that charges its laser and then kills them is a great way to um, to sort of mitigate a lot of this. And so Repeat Moss and Repeat Moss is less famous but still good other cousin, uh, the Pod Fighter, I think sort of presents an interesting angle to this. I was actually um, thinking of going back to that deck pretty soon. I had a um, pseudo OTK Captain Combustible Pod Fighter deck that was playing like Gloom Shroom and um, Party Time and other stuff like that, um, where it's like rather than like killing a bunch of dudes in a bunch of lanes so that your creatures that fight fair attack their block meter, like instead of doing all that dumb stuff, um, you just say, I clear one lane and then machine gun you to death. You know, that's the kind of thing that might get you there too. Yeah, not a bad strategy. And there's also Brain Anna, if you just need one more turn to live and really want to make sure they don't teleport that in, that has won me some games against Brainstorm before. For sure. Um, and so if you are a uh, Valkyrie Brainstorm player, say you sent us one of these decks, or you uh, just happen to be a person who figured out some technology that we didn't mention, uh, we'd love for you to tell us about it so we can share it with the world at uh, shroomfordupodcast at gmail.com. 
Absolutely. And also check out our YouTube page at Shroom for Two Podcast and give that a subscribe. We're going to be, I'd like to focus a little more on getting stuff out there for that. And now that I've made some background graphics, I feel a little better about our stuff looking good. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, my computer's still busted, but uh, I think by the time the next show comes out, I'll have a computer again and, uh, you know, we can do some more um, fight videos and uh, like, you know, so we could say like, have you play a Valkyrie Brainstorm deck and have me play a Podfighter OTK deck. A try and stop me deck. <laughs> yeah, something like that. You know, we could have some some more video content on there. And uh, if you have any suggestions for that kind of thing, a great place to tell us about that is in our Discord channel, uh, which is on the PBZ Heroes Discord. Uh, if you go to the Reddit, which is uh, slash r slash PBZ Heroes, uh, on the sidebar, there's a link to the Discord. We're in a channel called Shroom for Two, and uh, me and Mike are both in there, and we're talking about stuff about this game. And uh, there was actually something that I wanted to uh, call attention to before we end the show. So last week we were talking about Agro Solar Flare and how Agro Solar Flare is kind of like a hyper-optimized deck that wants to just play a high-power fatty on turn one and then just sort of like push through as much damage as it can until it kills them with burn on like turn four or five. Longtime listener Patrick, I think, was the one who brought it up scrolling yes the idea of playing little buddy in the aggro solar flare deck as a way to kind of protect your glass cannons uh and so that prompted a discussion in the channel about like well this is a hyper optimized aggro deck you'd be cutting creature that have creatures that have power that kill them with a zero cost zero one that all it does is block and i guess you know turn on elderberry which is non-trivial but like not really what we're talking about here like the idea being that if you've got your one cost four two that's killing them and they block it, well, you can play the little buddy in front of your thing and their blocker will kill your little buddy instead of your big thing. So have to block your thing again. And like whether that was something that a hyper aggro deck wanted to do or not. Um, and so it just sort of brought up a discussion about like, well, how do you do a metagame call on an aggro deck? An aggro deck really punishes you for making deck building bad choices. Um, but like maybe this is kind of like playing a grape buster. It's not like you're just playing a zero cost zero one just to do it. Um, and so there's like interesting kind of card gamey discussions that go on in there. And uh, if that's the sort of thing that appeals to you, you might enjoy the channel for sure. And until next time, I'm Mike and I'm Taylor. Have a great week, everybody. Go Red Sox. <laughs>